0: Hello and welcome to episode 440 of the Yellow Wallpots. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Wednesday's cup fight at the Ruhrstadion, which saw Dortmund go through to the quarterfinals of the DFB Pokal. We will preview Saturday's match away to Werder Bremen, and we will preview Tuesday's Champions League home leg against FC Chelsea. For all that and more, joins me, Danny Lützner. Hello, Danny. Uh, it is great to have you on the show. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Stefan. Uh Yeah, glad to be finally here, and uh, I think it's a great time to to talk football, especially Dortmund, so yeah. (laughs) It is a great time. (laughs) It is, it actually is.
0: Yeah, so let me introduce Danny. Uh, He is a football data scout, and he's a work colleague of mine, hence the connection, and he is, of course, also a Borussia Dortmund fan, for better or worse. Uh, Danny, if you have any uh, other details about you that you want to tell our listeners, uh, be my guest. Yeah, so...
1: My name is Danny. been a lifelong Dortmund fan my entire life. And uh, yeah, I live in the UK. Work as a football data scout here and um, yeah, moved to the UK in 2018. So not been in, in Dortmund as much as I wanted to watch some games. But yeah, tried to catch up every game. Like yesterday, unfortunately, there was no availability to watch the game for free on uh, British television. So yeah, had to get a stream yesterday for £15. Pounds. Jesus. So yeah. Yeah, that's what you have to do when you watch uh a classic derby in at uh, Bochum. So,
0: well, it really was a classic um because obviously it was to to me it was a great game because uh I don't know if it's uh, you know a, a game for the football connoisseur. I don't know, but for me as a guy from Dortmund, this was a nice review derby. You had uh, an awful terrible pitch. You had a mid to lower league table team and VfL Bochum really came out with a fight and uh, so did Dortmund. It was a really uh, hotly contested match. You had uh, great uh, pyrotechnics in the away stand and, uh, you know, just uh, a really gritty game uh, that Dortmund prevailed from. And uh, if you compare that game to the loss to Sampoli uh, last season, the infamous cup exit where uh, Dortmund have been heavily criticized uh, for their performance then. I think we saw an entirely different team, entirely different mentality, entirely different approach to the game because Dortmund did get stuck in, if you will. (laughs) Uh, And (laughs) in in these kind of games, this is actually what counts uh, for the most part. And uh, yeah, was it the best uh, footballing game from Dortmund? Uh, Probably not. But uh, I personally am just very happy with the performance because uh, from the first minute on, they were uh, right at the same pace where Bochum were and they did not yield any space. So, yeah, it, it got a little chaotic, um, but uh, nevertheless, I thought uh, it was a highly entertaining game. Um, what did you make out of the first half and uh, the lineup? Uh, it was uh, Rioson back as a left back in for Guerrero. We had Mats Hummels starting instead of Schlotter back in Niklas Süle. Uh, in central defence, Marius Wolf was the right back and then uh, Emrit Can, the holding midfielder and uh, Charlie Özcan coming back from suspension in midfield next to Jude Bellingham. And then you had uh, Bino Gittens, who replaced the suspended Adeyemi
1: and uh, Julian Brandt uh, and Sebastian Alea also up front. So, yeah, I mean, you basically summed it up quite well. I think that if that game would have been played in October, September last year, Bochum would have beaten us quite easily because. We had a completely different mentality a couple of months back, and this game really showed how um, far this team has come in the last month or two. Um, we took them exactly what they gave us. We um, basically, as you said, like we were there. It was just a typical um, cup fight. And Bochum is a dangerous team to play currently. They have a fantastic mix of experienced players. Very dangerous um, counter forward slash wingers with uh, Azano, and you have a classic target man with uh, Hofmann up front. So it was a really really tough game for Dortmund, and at Bochum is never easy for Dortmund historically. So I was really impressed with the um, attitude, and I think when we saw the lineup with uh, Chan and Chan in uh, in the central midfield. It was clear what what game it will be it won't be pretty it won't be um a spectacular three four five nil it had to be a gritty game and um yeah i'm actually quite proud to to witness that dortmund is able to to win these games now because even in the second half after um the one one obviously there was some kind of of feeling in the air at the um Ruhr stadium but at no time was I really scared that we would really lose this game. And it just shows how, how far we've come in the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, it was a good game to watch, especially for neutrals, because there was everything in that game that, that you want to see. So, yeah, very happy.
0: Well, I think neutrals would be rooting for the upset maybe, but that, of course, did not materialize. However, um, I think you, you got it absolutely right when you said that Dortmund took uh, pretty much what Bochum gave them. Obviously, the first two chances, I would say, uh, Sebastian Allaire when he slipped during a shot and sailed over the bar. And a couple of uh, minutes later, um, it was Jamie Bino Gittens who also had a very uh, promising attempt that he also just put over the bar. Um, <laughs> A little bit annoying, but uh, you know what? If if you shoot over the goal, uh, then you just need to shoot from further back. And that's exactly what Emre Can did. Because uh, punish. <laughs> he did uh, Riemann for uh, his uh, yeah clearance very far out the pitch. And uh, was it the prettiest uh, and the best hit from Emre Can? It was not, but it has this wicked spin. Uh, probably a top spin and uh, a weird bounce. And <laughs> Riemann just... <laughs> he was chasing, but he could just not get the ball. And well, it was a hilarious goal and uh, a, a typical cup goal, if you will, uh, to go ahead. Uh, I think VfL Bochum themselves have been involved in a lot of uh, long-distance goals. Now, I, I think they did did it to Hoffenheim, in, if I'm not mistaken, earlier in the season in Dortmund's 3-0, when Dortmund also had a weird long-distance goal so um yeah i think that was a very important goal uh for dortmund to score it right in the uh, stoppage time of the first half and uh, to me uh it really did feel like uh that it was almost in the bag at at that point obviously uh for Vf- bochum can always be uh a threat on on set pieces and and stuff like that but uh, i feel like they lacked composure once um they yeah came closer to the box but in the second half um, I think it changed a little bit because uh, Marius Wolf had to come off. Uh, the guys on ESPN said that he uh, was feeling his hamstring, but uh, today Kicker does report that it is more of a shoulder injury and uh, he is now going through checkups, uh, but it is apparently not severe. So, fingers crossed, because Marius Wolf, of course, is right now pretty important to Dortmund. And uh, you could immediately see when Nico Schlotterbeck came in. And uh, Niklas Zule went to the right, Hummels also moved one to the right. And uh, yeah, then you could see that uh, andvi Ajay ran at uh, <laughs> Mats Hummels a little bit more. And I think uh, before the penalty uh, occurred, um, there were two or three really promising chances uh, that... Uh, once again had to save uh, was i i think one was slightly offside and since var was in action i think uh um that would have been reviewed but nevertheless um two very good saves uh, one we won one uh, where he blocked the ball uh, the, the shot rather and the other one where he basically took the ball off and VARJ, and uh to me um yeah once again uh, big saves and, and just showed how how important uh, Marius Wolf is for the structure and of course how important it was to have uh, Niklas Dühle, uh in, in that area of the field on the, on the right side basically of center half because his pace uh, really did well against Advi Ajay and uh, once Mats Hummels had to go 1v1 with him it did not look so great so uh, from that perspective uh, I think that was sort of the biggest change of the game which really gave Bochum um, yeah, a bit of the upper hand for like 10-15 minutes or so, and uh, obviously... Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about the uh, very controversial penalty call. Um, I, I certainly do <laughs> want to, call, <laughs> to talk about it, because uh, first of all the referee was Tobias Sheila, who is the same referee that did not famously did not award the handball when uh, Boateng blocked uh, Haaland's shot with his elbow in 2019. Um, yes. I think for context, that's important because uh, I think this, uh, you know, it it did hit Jamie Bannock at the elbow, but obviously um, his elbow was far closer to the rest of his body. And uh, yeah, he did turn around. Um, I personally feel like the handball rule is very hard to grasp for me at this point, And to me, these decisions feel very random. But, um, you know, first of all, I think that... Gi- Bino Gittens was simply fouled beforehand. He was just shoved away. And then uh, Absolutely. And and then yeah, this handball. I don't know. I don't think it should have been a, a call and then for the review to take really actually four minutes. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> what's what's
1: your opinion on that, Danny? I mean, where should we start? <laughs> it's um first of all, as he said, it's a clear foul before the situation even begins. But for me, the biggest issue is just, okay, so for you, it, for for Sheila, clearly it wasn't a foul, which, okay, it's even more controversial than the uh, ultimate decision to give a penalty. But what bothered me the most as a, not just as a Dortmund fan, but as a football fan, and seeing how VAR or a video assistant uh, referee is being used in different sports now, in basketball, in in rugby, it is much more transparent in those four minutes none basically no one had any idea what was communicated between Stieler and the uh, video assistant referee team no one knew what is exactly being checked why is that being checked but the push is not being checked what are the criterias of a handball these days because as you've said it's not consistent it is absolutely ludicrous how this is a a penalty and i think it was five or ten minutes later on the other side um i think janko he got the ball on his hand and he actually it was a similar situation to the one um that you just mentioned with Boating a couple of years back and yeah there is there is no consistency and as long as we don't have any clear transparency or communication between referees and their assistants It will never be a system that will work for football fans. And yeah, that's basically all I can say to this because I'm still mad about it.
0: Yeah, so am I. And uh, I've basically just accepted the fact that it's screwed up (laughs) and uh, yeah. I don't know it 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 does need reform and we all know as you said transparency is probably the the biggest one Uh, i don't know if they showed on the video screens in the stadiums by now what exactly the referee is reviewing but uh, they should and uh, on top of that i think the referee uh, should also have a way to communicate with the entire stadium and announce his decision and not just explain it obviously that would be a very big step for the sport. It's uh, very commonplace yes. in other sports, but uh, nevertheless, I think if you have such a long review, um, there, there should be more transparency. I think Stieler had an interview um, with German TV afterwards to explain his decision, but uh, unfortunately I did not see it and um, I also don't care because uh, his decision was plainly <laughs> wrong and whatever he did to explain it, I think it took so long because they couldn't quite figure out whether it was on the line or uh, outside of the uh, penalty area. But uh, yeah, very frustrating if you ask me um, to to watch this and then uh, for it to actually stand, because I was pretty convinced that it was once he went to the review area that he was going to take uh, two looks at it and then just call it off. But uh, yeah, Absolutely. it was not the case. But the good news is uh, once um, Stürger converted from the penalty spot in the 64th minute, uh, Tessic made two more subs he brought anthony modest in for sebastian Allea and uh, he brought marco royce in for jamie bynoe gittens who i think struggled quite a lot uh because yes. of the intensity of the game and you can see that jamie bynoe gittens isn't quite there yet to really uh you know be within that hustle so he a, didn't really have much space to run into um because he was quickly doubled so was julian Brandt, by the way I think uh, Bochum did very well to uh, take these two creative players, if you will, out of the game. And um, yeah, Marco Reus uh, came in, of course, and uh, it took, what, like five minutes or so, and Dortmund actually created a beautiful goal. Um, I was positively surprised uh, to see Charlie Ushan play that through ball to Jude Bellingham, who made a really great run, because if you see the uh, build-up when uh, before Ushan. Received the ball, he was actually pointing to Zulu to uh, play it sideways. And Zulu (laughs) was like, Screw you, I'm just gonna pass it to you. And then Ashan just turned around and uh, passed it to Bellingham. And uh, yeah, you could see at this point in the game that Bochum just didn't have the energy anymore to really uh, close down Dortmund as well as they did beforehand. That was something what I was sort of waiting for. Watching the entire first half, looking at the intensity and knowing uh, the quality that Dortmund can bring off the bench nowadays, and uh, yeah, Jude Bellingham, excellent uh, square off to Marco Reus, who had a tap in that I am very confident that you and me both would have arguably finished, although who knows That's uh too too this loud. pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I I don't know what else to say about this game really. Um, other than that, uh, Gregor Kobel, um. I think it was an Instagram story or so on on the pitch where he uh, really uh, praised uh, Ryerson, I think he called him like a Norwegian endurance runner or something like that uh, (laughs) praising him for sprinting up and down the field the entire game and uh, yeah, to me I feel like Ryerson especially in a game like this you can can see the quality that he brings and uh, since it's your first time uh, maybe your thoughts on our left back slash right back
1: Honestly, when... When the news came out um he was one of one of many at union berlin he was not really a standout player because that's not who he is um he has always been an kind of under of the radar guy but someone who is just putting in the work and he's exactly the type of player that we needed because we had someone like meunier who much more talented as a footballer much more technical he brings a lot potentially moving forward but he can't defend <laughs> his his house and uh, his defensive position is god awful but Raymond, who it's a mold in our team that potentially didn't hence um, he's exactly what we needed in that position especially with let's say we play with Guerrero on the left there is an imbalance in our team because on the left you push forward you have an creative uh, left back who yeah whose crossing is phenomenal who who can even make a run he's quite comfortable on the ball rayerson is someone who will stabilize our defense and yet perfect example why we got him because he's just he accepts his role playing if he plays right uh right back left back he just fits exactly the needs that we had and i know that we both are big fans of Matthieu mouret as a player that uh he will be with us for a long time because we absolutely need him. And yeah, you can plug it easily in uh, as a left back as well, as I said. And uh, I think he is—he's a—he's a very, very good buy for for January transfer window. So we did well there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Uh, apologies uh, to the listeners because you've been breaking up a little bit there. I don't think I can recover it. Um, but oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, um. But yeah, now Dortmund obviously move on to the next round. And uh, in, in the quarterfinal, I don't think it will be much easier, to be honest. Uh, I think the, um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think the uh, opponents left will be uh, Bayern, Freiburg, Frankfurt, uh, Nuremberg, and Stuttgart are in there as well. And uh, someone else I have uh, since forgotten about. But, um, ah yeah, Union Berlin are also in there. Um, so it's, it's, it, Either way, whatever the draw is, it's probably going to be a a tricky draw, and uh, (laughs) I'm already looking forward to the next round, but uh, Dortmund do look strong right now, but obviously now the question is, can they maintain that momentum against Werder Bremen, who are of course in 8th place in the Bundesliga, they uh, have the 3rd worst defence, they have conceded 37 goals, and the 8th best attack with 31 goals, so their goal difference right now is minus 6, and uh, what I find interesting is that Niklas Füllkrug currently, and I did not know that uh, the league in scoring, he is uh, the league leader, uh, the leading goal scorer with 13 goals to his name. Uh, the, best, uh, the second best uh, goal scorer on Werder Bremen is, of course, uh, none other than Dortmund's own Marvin Duksch. And uh, I think <laughs> he has scored four or so. But uh, yeah, they also share a lot of assists between each other because uh, Duksch and Füllkrug, to me, are one of the best striker pairing we have in the Bundesliga right now. And, of course, as yes. we all know, uh, Dortmund, uh, in the reverse fixture, were 2-0 up <laughs> until the stoppage time, and they did not deserve to be 2-0 up, to be honest. Uh, but then uh, Werder Bremen scored three goals in very quick succession, which is one probably one of the biggest fumbles in Dortmund history. And uh, I think the... Uh, Bremen coach already said today or the other day that uh, the last game doesn't really matter. Well it, it matters to me because I'm out for revenge. I think Dortmund have something <laughs> to make up for here. And uh, going away to Werder Bremen is just never easy for Dortmund. I think it was his um Tessich's very first match um as a yes. as an interim coach back then was against Werder Bremen. It was a very uh ugly two-one win. And I mean, I, I I take one again because right now um, it's it's all about <laughs> getting three points and staying in this title race uh, however long you can uh, to keep us all excited and hopeful. And uh, yeah, beating Werder Bremen away from home will just not be easy because uh, they are very hard to defend. But um, Danny, obviously we just talked a lot about... Uh, The Bochum game and uh, what qualities uh, stood out uh, from a Dortmund perspective there. But in general, um, if you look at how the Bundesliga campaign has been going since the restart, um, how optimistic are you that Dortmund can uh, come away with all three points from the uh, Weserstadion and uh, more importantly, uh, what are sort of the trends and tendencies that you have observed uh, that make you positive overall about Dortmund and their league campaign right now.
1: So yeah, I mean, since the the restart of the of the Bundesliga, Dortmund has looked still shaky in the first, I would say, two games, especially the the home win against Augsburg. But since then, seeing how we plucked in Halle, how we changed our system, how we moved on from maybe accepting that a one or two nil win. Like we did in Leverkusen, is enough to keep three win, uh, three points. That's all we need to do to 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 keep it tight, to stay in the race, and um, especially having Alia back is going to change dramatically our offense. You've already seen that Adiemi is much more comfortable being around a a tall focal point in the office uh, offense. He has been. He's still not there where he could be. But he is definitely progressing in a, in a good way. Um, Brandt is playing the more probably the most successful football of his career. He is creating a ton of chances. He is he's creative. You can clearly see that he's he's comfortable in the system. And um yeah, when when it comes to our defense and how we how we will hopefully beat Bremen is uh our defense is key. With Kobel being probably the best goalkeeper we had in the last since Weidenfeller in his uh, his prime Um, we are looking good we are looking very very dangerous for for any team up there Um, obviously Bayern is struggling even though they got Cancelo and and, uh, that's going to help them massively with their issues in terms of of their possession style of football but I'm still not convinced that Bayern will be what we used them to be, because they are lacking uh, a, 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 um, a significant threat up front. And as long as we keep it close, we have chances. We absolutely can can beat Frankfurt, as we've shown in the in um, September last year. We can definitely hang with Leipzig, and I think we can absolutely hang with Bayern. So if we keep it close, see how um, Frankfurt and Leipzig perform in the Champions League, it's going to be an open title race, which is something that I think every German football fan uh, wants to see. And um,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but as I said before, you really talk about a title race, uh, you absolutely need to <laughs> defeat Werder Bremen. So um, yes. what makes Werder Bremen such a tricky team to play this season? Because uh, I, I rarely see them being selected um, they are pretty much always in the game. Obviously, they have conceded uh, 37 goals, and I said uh, league's third worst defense. Um, so obviously, if you're a Bremen fan, you're probably uh, <laughs> dumbfounded of uh, how this team manages to concede goals. And I mean, they have been selected a couple of times. They lost six to one to Bayern Munich. They lost seven to one to Cologne. I think that was the first game uh, of 2023, if I'm not mistaken, which was kind of hilarious. But uh, apart from that, um, they lost 2-1 to Union Berlin and then uh, recently they beat Wolfsburg 2-1 and then a 2-0 win against VfB Stuttgart. So um, if I'm a Dortmund fan, I'm cautiously optimistic that Dortmund can win this just uh, based on the form that Dortmund are in right now. But uh, then again, Werder Bremen have a few weapons that can really hurt them. And I was already talking about their striker Do and... uh, Oftentimes to beat Dortmund, all you need to do is uh, play a long ball over the top. And if you have a striker that can sort of uh, lay it off to another player, then Dortmund are often in trouble. So um, how do you think uh, Dortmund can actually uh, avoid another trip up against Werder
1: Bremen? I think if we start with Schlotterbeck and Süle, that would be the key against a, as you said, quite physical um two up front in Dux and especially um, Füllkrug I think Füllkrug is if we're being honest probably the best German striker we currently have or traditional striker striker as we know it um, Bremen is a tricky team Bremen is not very good at at anything it's just a solid and a well coached team um, lucky for us um, their captain Friedl will be out with his fifth yellow probably going to be replaced maybe by, by Velkovic and having someone like Amos Piebal also in the defense, they will be deceptible to um to quick wingers. I mean for us it will be it will be important to, to get definitely pace onto our wings um with Adeyemi still being out um and Bainu Gittens definitely having to having to uh potentially sit out because as you said before, against Bochum, he you could clearly see that he's still lacking um, the intensity of professional football. Um, most likely, Reina will start. It depends on uh, what we'll do with uh, someone like Mukoko, because currently there is already uh, noises coming out that he is not happy with the game time that he currently gets, and um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if if Alia starts if he starts. Who is going to play uh, around him? I hope, because we I think we spoke about this a couple of times, that we would really like to see Alea and Mukoko together. And maybe in Bremen it will be it will be a perfect time to potentially unleash the best duo we currently have up front. But yeah, as I said, with with uh, with Friedlaut, there will be opportunity for us to to score. I suspect that. Rafael Guerrero will be back against Bremen because even though they have a bit of pace, he won't be as, um, as big of a liability defensively against Bremen. So I see him coming back. He scored against them. I think he scored against Bremen a couple of years back as well. So he should be, he should be fresh. He should come back into the team. And yeah, I'm pretty, pretty positive and. Optimistic that we at least get a draw on Bremen and, and just keep keep the good form up and and see where we can go against uh, Chelsea next week.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm also hoping for another Giorena goal off the bench because uh, he scored his very first career goal for Dortmund in the cup against Werder Bremen, if I'm not mistaken, and that was an absolute outrageous strike. So uh, if he could replicate that, I would not complain whatsoever and um yeah we'll we'll see what uh <laughs> this game will bring uh what's your scoreline prediction a two three all right that was mine as well so yeah i'm also <laughs> saying two to three and uh with that i think we can move on to the champions league uh of course uh chelsea will visit the westfalen stadion first right now they are ninth in the premier league and uh yeah uh They have a new coach, Thomas Tuchel, no longer uh, at the helm. It is uh, now, of course, Graham Potter, who, um, yeah, I think has struggled uh, so much, is uh, fair to say. But um, you are also here because you have a much closer eye on English football than I have, because, quite frankly, I am not watching a lot. Um, It is quite funny and also disturbing to see how many players Chelsea have signed over this winter transfer window. Uh, I think their investment was uh, north of 400 million euros, maybe even 500. Yes. I'm not entirely sure uh, how much they spent, um, but uh, they did sign Enzo Fernandes, uh, Michaelo Mudrik, uh, Beno Badia Noni Madueke, and Jao Felix. And uh, yeah, I think also David Facho Forfana and Andre Santos. So, a very long list, but uh, we don't really have to care about most of them because, uh As the rules are, Chelsea could only nominate three players and uh, Potter has chosen Enzo Fernandes, Mudrik, and Joao Felix. So, um, obviously three good players, um, but as I said before, Chelsea are struggling a little bit. Uh, I don't know how that will translate to the Premier League. I think their most recent uh, game has been a scoreless draw against Fulham. so, what can Dortmund fans expect? Because uh, I don't, I would say that just on paper they might not go into this game as favorites. However, um, I've, I'm seeing a lot of optimism on Twitter among Dortmund fans uh, about this matchup. So uh, maybe you can add some perspective here that I clearly am lacking.
1: I think what you just mentioned regarding um, Graham Potter is probably our biggest advantage because unfortunately for us Thomas Tuchel is a great coach and the fact that um, when Todd Burley purchased Chelsea his first move was to get rid of the coach that actually won you the Champions League is is absolutely asinine <laughs> um, yeah it sounds pretty stupid it, I mean looking back it's probably the the stupidest decision that they made in the last couple of years because they didn't really give him the budget to invest and what did they do after he left? They basically spent, uh, well, further £300 million to to get good players, but not world-class players. And um, as you said, only three of them were able to, to get uh, nominated. And unfortunately, our old friend Aubameyang uh, was left out of the Champions League squad, so we won't see him, which is quite sad. But... Yeah, I think Chelsea is probably the biggest question mark in in, in the Premier League currently, even with a team like uh, Liverpool struggling, because Chelsea is... I've watched two games of them recently, and they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. Um, there's no structure in the game. It is... They don't really create chances. It's a very, very underwhelming performance after... Uh, yeah, after another and even it was quite funny because coming back to graham potter um i think a couple of months back when he took over the job at chelsea roy Keane famously um said on when he was asked who are the three best coaches in the in the premier league for some reason he mentioned graham potter is one of them and he is not a great coach he is someone like I would compare maybe to a Lucien Favre, a basic coach who can do some good stuff with a mid-table team, but he's completely out of his depth at, uh, at Chelsea. And yeah, I suspect Chelsea will be, will play a very slow style of football, even though they have incredible pace with Mudrik, as you said, Sterling up front. Even someone like Fofana that they just recently got is, is a rapid. Yeah, and Sieg is also be... very slow. Exactly, exactly. And Sieg would have been uh, someone that I would have liked to see a Dortmund, but a couple of years back, not now. But it's, you have to be very careful the way you defend Chelsea because there's a lot of uh, creativity, pace, and um, scoring ability up front. But in general, it's not a great team currently. And we definitely got quite lucky when you compare Chelsea with the other options that we put could potentially had at, uh, yeah, at the draw. So I'm quite optimistic that our, our Champions League run will, will continue after this one. Well, there are two
0: things to note is that, um, the Champions League, as you all know, no longer has the away goal rule. So, um, that I think can be positive or negative, uh, but, uh, I think it's it's important to note, and the other thing that uh, I'm not 100% sure if he's going to be out, but uh, most likely Christian Pulisic, for our American listeners, I think he's going to miss the first leg, definitely. Because he, he picked up an injury, um, I think, was it the first game back or so, um, when he was tackled in the box, and um, yeah... I don't know about the other injuries. I don't know if N'Golo Kante is going to be out. I don't know if Dennis Zakaria is going to be out. Um, how long they will be I out don't for. Thi-
1: <laughs> I don't think they're going to miss uh, Zakaria in particular.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it, it' interesting that Zakaria is uh, right now in Chelsea not really doing much. Uh, I know that uh, Dortmund wanted to sign him, or at least Sok wanted to sign him on a free transfer from Gladbach. But that, of course, did not pan out. Uh, would you take him right now if uh, Chelsea would make him available to overload uh, him from their, let's call it a bloated squad because it's certainly what they are? Or would you rather go for, say, uh, Matteo Kovacic, who, <laughs> who I wanted to see uh, at Dortmund for a very long time? not entirely sure if I would do now.
1: I mean, obviously, I would always take uh, Matteo Kovacic over almost anyone on the Chelsea squad currently. Um and if you ask me, if I would take Zakaria, I would rather start Emre Can over Zakaria right now, if I'm being honest, because I don't think Zakaria fits fits our needs. We have some some limited players in in Zaliçan and and even Emre Can in this uh, holding midfield position. Zakaria is he's too injury prone for, for for me to come to to Dortmund. We don't need a player like him, honestly would you take Kovacic maybe as a Bellingham
0: replacement i mean Kovacic is 28 but uh, to me he's still in,
1: he's a decent player i think that we both we have this dream of, of finding a new gunduan <laughs> yes and if 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 you look around the premier league who could potentially be available who has a similar skill set and who can also be a scoring threat at times um just outside of the box Kovacic is he would be brilliant he would be a fantastic fantastic acquisition but getting him I don't see any any chance how we can do that
0: yeah now you're, you're probably right um but you know a, a guy can dream oh definitely <laughs> but yeah from a, from a Dortmund's perspective what have Dortmund what do they have to do in order to beat this Chelsea team
1: you gotta defend well. And I don't think that this is going to be much different from the game that we just played against Bochum. Um I don't see Guerrero doing too well against the pace that Chelsea can bring onto the pitch. Um defending Mudrik is is tough. He is he's rapid. You have Sterling. As you said, Ziech has pace. Um even in midfielders have a lot of pace and um they will play quite defensively because they are not creating a lot of chances they will sit back they will wait and it's going to be a waiting game i would not be shocked if it's going to be a very low scoring game at dortmund even if potentially a nil nil and um yeah then you go to to chelsea you go to the stamford bridge and then you just have to have to tough it out and obviously hope that Chelsea is not finding any rhythm in the next couple of weeks, but I don't see that happening.
0: Well, the problem with uh, football is that uh, you just never know when teams catch form, because if you had asked me yes. how Dortmund would fare uh, starting into this year, I probably would have not predicted what has unfolded so far. So, uh, yeah, I would have been wrong. Certainly the 5-1 win against Freiburg uh, looked quite promising. And uh, to be honest, I'm always feeling... Uh, encouraged when Dortmund played home in the Champions League just because uh, the Westfalenstein has been such a stronghold for Dortmund and um, usually they have found ways to win these kind of games, uh, especially uh, if you have a healthy Marco Reus. He's usually very vital, he scores very important Champions League goals. And uh, Sebastian Allaire, <laughs> who we almost forget, but he of course was the uh, top goalscorer of the Champions League uh, in the previous season. <laughs> So, uh, you know, having him return to the uh, is something that I personally am also very much looking forward to. And um, after Greg Berhalter said that uh, the United States don't have a player that scores in Champions League right now, he all but guaranteed that Gio Reyna will definitely score somehow in this game as well. So, um, you know, maybe... How do you
1: think he's going to... So, how do you think he's going to celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I, <laughs> I think it's going to be a, another Memphis Depay celebration, if you ask me. So, um, yeah, very funny to me. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm very positive right now because Dortmund just have the cohesion that is necessary to defend well in such games, and uh, more importantly, uh, create chances. I think that Chelsea will be very impressed with the entire. Uh, just atmosphere noise uh, that the VFN can produce on a Champions League night. Uh, These nights will always be special. And so I personally am just very much looking forward to it. And um, yeah, obviously you are always worried about the individual skill on the other side. Obviously it's going to be a matchup between Julian Brandt and Kai Havertz, who are pretty much best friends as well. So that's another storyline to keep an eye out. For, um, and uh, yeah, in the meantime, I think Dortmund have to make sure that their fullbacks, especially Wolf and Ryerson, uh, stay healthy after the brain game because, uh, as you said to me, they are absolute key figures right now. Marius Wolf uh, with his forward momentum on the right side and Ryerson on the left, um, just you know, ju- the dynamic we now have from full- both fullbacks' positions is something we haven't seen in quite a while and of course you can always play Rafael Guerrero if you must because he can do certain things well and uh, who knows, maybe we'll score a set-piece goal here and there too because we of course did not uh, do that against Bochum but uh, we were very successful of course against Freiburg and uh, who knows if uh, the same feat doesn't work against Chelsea because in the Champions League set-piece goals often also make the difference just as Jose Mourinho (laughs) and so (laughs) Yeah, another aspect, another weapon in Dortmund's game. So I personally am feeling relatively positive, albeit knowing that uh, Chelsea, of course, have uh, so many world-class players or high-class players in, in their team that uh, they can just create something pretty much out of nothing without having, uh, you know, a nice tactical setup.
1: That's true. But again, I'm just looking at the uh, the schedule for Chelsea in the next coming weeks and... Uh... Ah, they're going to they're going to struggle it's going to be some tough games for them and they will be under a lot of pressure if they don't perform against Dortmund as well because you don't invest 500 million pounds a year to lose against Dortmund in the last round uh, the round of last 16 so there's going to be a lot of pressure for for Graham Potter and uh, the Chelsea team but yeah as you said having pace in the back um potentially not playing uh Hummels would put would most likely help against Chelsea and uh, then you got to see who they play up front if it's going to be Kai Havertz or uh, Joao Felix because if they play with Felix it's going to be a bit different to defend or because if they play with Havertz they're going to be a bit more stationary and Havertz even though he has learned to to deal with the physicality here in the UK I don't think he is I don't think people expected him to be where he is right now because he is a little bit stuck in his in his development, and yeah, Chelsea is definitely beatable. And as I said, like comparing Chelsea to the other options that we we could have had, it's a good draw. And um, yeah, if we keep the momentum up in the next couple of uh, couple of weeks, we should go through definitely.
0: Yeah, so Chelsea do play this weekend against West Ham United who themselves are 17th. Yeah, they're 17th in the Premier League. Um, And uh, the three games in between uh, the second leg will be against Southampton, Tottenham, and then Leeds United, who also just had a coaching change. Um, And uh, I don't have it in front of me, who Dortmund play in that (laughs) time period. I can tell you that they are playing against Werder Bremen (laughs) this Saturday. And then, um, yeah, it's going to be also very tricky, because they then play Hertha at home, Hoffenheim away. And then before the second leg, they do play um, RB Leipzig at home, which is another key game. And right after the Chelsea game, you have the Revier Derby against Schalke, which is arguably the last derby. And you must absolutely win that one because uh, if it's the last derby, you have to win it. (laughs) Those are the rules. So um, yeah, the program for Dortmund going forward, absolutely not easy either. But uh, right now, I think we can be at least confident that uh, Hertha and Hoffenheim could be six points, right? Because Hoffenheim are one of the most, uh, f- one of the worst struggling teams, really. And uh, Hertha also, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not re- really impressed by them either. They are also right where Hoffenheim are. And um, yeah, we'll see, of course, how, how the Leipzig game will go. But uh, that's, of course, uh, at the beginning of March. So we still have a couple of more episodes in between. Um, Danny, anything else you want to say about this game
1: or do you want to honour me with a scoreline prediction? Um, I don't think there's a lot to, to say anymore about the Chelsea game because, as I've said, it's a big question mark. You don't know what's, what's going to happen with, with Chelsea. And yeah, as I've said, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game at home. Chelsea is famous for their nil-nil draw these days and I'm a bit more optimistic, so I'll say 1-0. 1-0 to Dortmund with, obviously, just for you, Gio Reyna will score.
0: All right. I'm uh, a bit more optimistic, <laughs> but I don't think uh, the scoreline will be that much different. I-, I do think it's going to be a 2-1. So uh, basically the same, uh, but at least we'll see two Dortmund goals. So we have something more to celebrate. But uh, yeah, I see Marco Roy scoring as well uh, next to Gio Reyna. Um, But uh, yeah, as you said, we shall see. Um, Again, Danny, uh, thank you very much for coming on and uh, lending your expertise. It was a fun little chat about the Black and yellows. and I hope we can do it again soon. But in the meantime, we shall be back uh, after the Chelsea game with another episode to then also, of course, preview the Hertha game and... uh, yeah, go from there. Uh, Once again, thank you, Danny, for coming on and uh, everyone out there. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Goodbye.